Programming Notes episodes, the general concept is that you can get an extended summary of episodes if you decide that you'd rather have that than listen to the episodes themselves, as well as some notes about what's going on in the community or how you can be helpful and useful in the community. Programming notes for the week of July 17th, 2022. For my weekly call-out bit on here, I'm going to strongly recommend something to all people that are implementing. Find your people. What I mean by this is to start to find a cohort of organizations and set up large-scale information sharing about what you are attempting and then learning with your, your data mesh journey. That doesn't mean a single one-off relationship or passing information back once in a while. Start to build out a group of organizations that are kind of approaching in the same way and that are moving at similar paces because, you know, many, many, many of the guests on the podcast are good examples that really strongly want people reaching out so that they can exchange information. But you all need to be creating connections with each other and then connecting your connections to each other as well, right? Think of your information sharing, like what is supposed to happen in a data mesh. It's not one-to-one integration between data products. It's about broad scale information sharing. So do the same between orgs and start to build out your understanding and your network, right? It shouldn't all be flowing through me if it's, if, it's you're kind of just, again, waiting for this information to come to you, you aren't going to be really able to, you're going to get the information that is created, right? Rather than going out and sourcing information for yourself. So start to step up, start to reach out to each other, start to broadcast in the Slack and elsewhere that you are interested in having these conversations and throw a Calendly link or whatever in there so that people have a direct call to action, right? Don't be passive in this. Don't use passive voice. Tell people, I want to talk to you. I want you to come to me. I want you to, to talk to this, right? Put yourself out there. So on to the quick summaries of the episodes. On Monday, it'll be episode 102, share data by default and other stories slash advice from LeBoncoin's data mesh journey so far with Stephanie Bergamo and Simon Moron. So Stephanie and Simon shared their learnings from doing data mesh at the French company LeBoncoin. While they're seeing good success from a share by default type approach, their journey is still very much a work in progress, especially working with software engineers to get them to use good data engineering practices. I think it is an honest review of what they've done so far, what's working well, but they're also not shy about saying, here are some things where we're still struggling. So I think it can make people feel like they're not alone in that other people are struggling as well, um, as well as sharing some good information. No mesh musings this week. I'm taking the week off. Hopefully I have a good replacement for mesh musings in general coming relatively soon. Um, I'm working on something in the background that could be pretty exciting. On Friday, we've got episode 103, which is four years of learning on decentralized data, ABM AMRO's data mesh journey 
with uh, Mahmoud Yassin. Mahmoud shared the learnings of helping ABN AMRO evolve their approach to distributed data over the last four years. As they were starting to do distributed data even before Jamak's original article or original post came out, they have continued to experiment and evolve. And while they are in a good spot, there are still you know, some things that aren't perfect. So learn from what they would do differently so you don't have to find the same anti-patterns they did and really look at, at what can be achieved, but also let's figure out how we share more of our information to make it easier and that people don't have to completely develop these practices on their own. Now on to the interview episode summaries. Extended summary for episode Stephanie 102, share data by default and Stephanie other and stories Simon. and advice from LevelCoin's data mesh journey so far. An interview with Stephanie, Stephanie and Bergamo and Simon Mauron. Stephanie and Simon. In this episode, I interviewed Stephanie, Stephanie a lead Simon. data engineer, and Simon, a lead architect at LevelCoin. Around the time Jamak's first post on data mesh came out in mid-2019, LevelCoin was experiencing many of the pain points Jamak laid out quite clearly in her first article. Their teams were already organized in kind of that quote-unquote Spotify model, so data ownership was already distributed to many of the domains. But they were seeing increasing time to market, often hitting what Simon called a very long time to market for new data initiatives. They already had an organizational model and some ways of working that fit well with data mesh, so they decided to go ahead and give Data Mesh a try. So per Stephanie and Simon, they tried using the Data Mesh principles for a first use case, building out their internal recommendation engine. It was a greenfield initiative, so it was a good one to, to test out how well Data Mesh could work for incremental data needs, rather than trying to migrate something that was really uh, an existing use case. In order to proceed with the pilot, Stephanie and Simon and the rest of the data team had to negotiate with the CTO. Once that pilot was successful, they kind of further negotiated and started embedding data engineers into the domains with the most obvious needs while starting to build out the self-service platform at the same point. They already had their CI/CD platform for the operational side, so they started to adapt that to work with data products with kind of creating those for the data mesh. And then they added additional data processing requirements, the governance, et cetera, to make it as self-service as possible for data producing teams. The good news per Stephanie and Simon was immediate traction with the self-serve platform with the backend engineers, but they were still suffering from the distance between the data and the software engineering people slash capabilities. It was difficult to get the software engineers to see data engineering as a type of software engineering. And many of the data engineers also were having a hard time seeing data engineering as a subset of software engineering. And that's still kind of going on as well. It's, it's difficult to really change years and years of <laughs> perceptions uh, overnight. 
this is a common complaint from many organizations. Just because you embed data engineers into domains, that doesn't mean everything becomes easy. You still need to get the software engineers slash developers to understand and care about data and data engineering practices. And the data engineers need to learn more about software engineering to best collaborate with the software engineers. Again, this isn't magic. Nothing in data mesh is magic. It is trying to set ourselves up for being scalable and having the flexibility and agility necessary to really deal with data at scale. But, you know, just embedding a data engineer doesn't mean all of a sudden your domains start producing the most beautiful, high quality of data. So data pipelines were a major blind spot for a number of the software engineers, according to Stephanie and Simon. If the software engineers were doing pipelines, most were not doing them all that well, you know, with a number of not so great best practices, to put it nicely. So there was a focus on communicating why data pipelines are so crucial to the overall company and how software engineers can learn to do them better. Data Mesh can help to facilitate sharing that vision and giving the software engineers ownership over data got them excited in many cases. I know the buy-in, driving buy-in is a question that a lot of folks have. So that could be helpful in, in that regard. Stephanie and Simon are reevaluating if their current internal guild setup is really working with a data mesh approach. It is currently organized only by speciality, and that means that there isn't a lot of cross-pollination of information. You know, people outside the specific guild don't have easy access to learning best practices shared with the members of that specific guild. Tim Tischler in his episode mentioned the idea of kind of broad group show and tells, you know, info sharing sessions around data products. And that may help with these types of challenges around best practices as well. So I think that's something that you could, a lot of organizations could go ahead and give a shot and see if that works. This lack of broader informational best practices sharing is biting Levin coin in general in the butt especially around testing. While software engineers know how to write you know, good te software tests, most data engineers aren't as good at writing tests in general, and software engineers aren't good in general at writing data-specific tests. The testing is really crucial to be confident in what you've got now that you're going to be able to make those future changes. So like, you need to create the good testing suite now so when you go to actually make those changes, you can be confident that you're testing for what matters. If you don't know what will happen with a change, that's, that's a really bad spot to be in. On driving buy-in, Stephanie and Simon shared that trying to force people along the path to sharing their data just didn't work well. What they found that worked was finding the curious developers and helping them accomplish what they wanted with data and finding actual projects that can add value, ones with specific use cases, often ones that are directly useful to the domain, the producing domain itself first. So at Lebonecoin, many of the data products start off serving that producing domain, and then the domain lets others know that they've created potentially useful data in the form of a product. 
This is similar to what LevelCoin does on the microservices side as well, with teams often consuming their own events from the enterprise service bus. So the first step for that data product is build it to explicit business needs and then see if additional business value comes from the data product. So per Stephanie and and Simon, another thing that's been helpful is their roadmap process. Teams should tell other teams what they will need from them early on. You know, if you have a need for data, you need to communicate it early so other teams can actually prioritize the work to get you the data that you need. There isn't an expectation of immediately producing data, which is a healthy way to collaborate, I think. LevelCoin has an interesting approach to sharing information. On the operational plane, as mentioned earlier, they have an enterprise service bus and teams are supposed to share information that might not be explicitly useful to them. They're asked to consider what might be useful for other teams and to share that at the start of their development process. So there isn't a request to add it in later. It was added from the start. They're doing the same approach on the data side with data mesh. It might not be in actual data products with strong SLAs, but other domains can at least understand what data could be formed into data products. So Stephanie and Simon recommended that When you start building out your federated governance, really start with following the pain. Put data engineers and backend engineers in the same room to find out what's actually necessary to do and what should be built into the platform. If you can make the tooling enforce governments requirements slash needs, that's easier for pretty much all parties. So Stephanie and Simon, Uh, Finish the conversation with a few quick notes. Number one, bet on curious people. Number two, just have people talk to each other. You know, Danilo Sato finished his episode with, (laughs) please just get people to talk to each other. I think this is a very common theme that needs to come up more is we try to solve too much with technology. Please stop it. And then number three was lower the cognitive costs of using the tooling. If you can do all three of those, if you can address those as best as you can, you'll really raise your chance of success with your data mesh implementation. Extended summary for episode 103, four years of learnings on decentralized data, ABN AMRO's data mesh journey, an interview with Mahmoud Yassin. So in this episode, I interviewed Mahmoud, who's a lead data architect at ABN AMRO. Mahmoud started his career in data as an ETL developer, so he saw the ever-increasing issues with the traditional enterprise data warehouse approach in large organizations. Then he moved on to working with the common way people have approached data lakes, you know, managed by that centralized team, and the issues seemed pretty similar to what they were with data warehouses to Mahmoud. So he was glad to start working with ABN AMRO on decentralizing their approach to data starting about four years ago. You know, this may be that when you hear four years ago, uh, Jamak's original article came out three years ago. So they were headed down a decentralized data route before even uh, Jamak's article had come out. So they've got some interesting learnings from that. 
ETL development in general is about translating the business needs to code. But Mahmoud saw the same problem many organizations are having. It is very hard for IT to really understand the real business context and needs relative to data. They try, but it often is only on the second or third attempt, if at all, that IT would really understand and get it. They simply cannot get enough of the context to serve needs well across many, many different domains. And then when you really think about as things evolve, they don't know that the upstream has evolved unless the pipeline breaks. So it's really, really difficult in general when we think about kind of the old ways of working. Again, most people know this, but it's good to reiterate it from time to time. So to kick off kind of the the general discussion portion, uh, Mahmoud made it clear there is no perfect data architecture, not one that fits all organizations and not even one that will fit your organization throughout time as it evolves or potentially across all needs in your organization. So look to what fits your organization at the moment and, and you know look to what will happen in the future as well, obviously. And it's okay to take pieces from multiple approaches and try them to see if they fit as a cohesive strategy. But make sure you to not just pick the easiest or most fun parts from multiple strategies. That cohesion is crucial to actually having a data strategy. For Mahmoud, a key mentality shift in doing decentralized data, especially data mesh, has been around what, you know, kind of done looks like. When you think about a physical goods type product, it's not done once it goes to production. With IT run data, it was typically that project mentality and done was when you delivered the data and you moved on. It is crucial to learn how to do actual product management and not just software product management to understand how to do data as a product right. A key learning for Mahmoud and team, which echoes something Jesse Anderson mentioned, is trying to keep as much of the work done around data inside the domain, inside the producing domain. There is obviously need for cross-domain boundary communication and sometimes collaboration, but there is a big cost to crossing domain boundaries when doing data work. Don't take it on if you don't need to. While some people think we should decentralize everything we can in data, I call those people simply wrong, (laughs) Mahmoud and team found there to be a significant cost to decentralizing the wrong things. They have a centralized governance layer to make things easier on the data product producers and consumers. And trying to fully decentralize MDM or master data management can quickly lead to duplication of effort and data. You know, Omar Kawaja from Roche mentioned similar issues early in Roche's journey. So how did ABN tackle these data duplication challenges? For Mahmoud, they created Dial, or their data integration access layer. This is similar to a service bus on the operational plane, with the Dial layer handling data quality checking, business metadata, technical metadata, checking against an interoperable data format, etc. Another instance of a centrally managed service that is leveraged by decentralized teams. Similar to a number of other organizations, Mahmoud discussed how ABN AMRO is creating an internal data marketplace 
as the mechanism for centralized data discovery and consumption. This way, there is a standard user experience when looking for and trying to understand what data is available. A standardized experience is crucial to really drive data consumption. The marketplace requirements also lead to very transparent way to share data. One thing that that really came up from this that I thought was really interesting, I hadn't thought about on marketplaces, is when you hear marketplace, you think about monetization, you think about buying and selling versus that standardized experience, right? Being able to kind of quote unquote, check out the data. So you don't have to really, if you're using a marketplace, you don't have to think about it in those kind of economic terms too often. Obviously, you want to look at cost, you want to look at return on investment, all of those things, but it doesn't have to be the main focus of the marketplace is to kind of create a buying and selling atmosphere around economics versus creating that standardized experience. So per Mahmoud, ABN is also working on making that um, data integration experience standardized in a few different ways. The previously mentioned dial layer is a centralized way to do integrations, whether that is creating new data sets that are reused across multiple downstream data products or integrating in more of a virtualized on the fly type of way, depending on what the the needs are, right? If this is data that really needs to be integrated and it needs to be landed because you need to then transform it versus you can kind of integrate on the fly because you're not doing major transformations, like really think about what's, what's necessary. But if you aren't careful, it is pretty easy, uh, especially if there are domains that might naturally touch on similar concepts to duplicate work, which can cost a lot, a lot in a lot of different ways, you know, talking about master data management, but also just computing costs and things like that, especially because most data tool licensing isn't designed for doing decentralized data. As part of or similar to the marketplace concept, Mahmoud talked about how ABN is creating these integration recipes, right? So somebody who is going to be integrating data can then publish their recipe for other people to see and say, okay, you're, you're integrating these pieces of data. Why and how? And it's, it's almost not like a data product in and of itself. But these repeated integrations may be similar in concept or how they kind of present to people as a downstream data product. And, you know, these other consumers can leverage the same recipe or clone it and adapt it to their needs. You know, especially if there's something where somebody did, you know, these three transformations and you want to do a fourth, you can just take their recipe and just add on that fourth. It has been very important to share what recipes others are using to drive insight sharing across domains. What are people looking for? Why? What's, what are the, the interesting insights they're deriving? To help manage compliance and governance and also to make sure data consumers understand what they are actually consuming, the dial layer prevents people from doing data integration without consent from data producers. Easta Oldfield mentioned something similar regarding how self-serve without understanding by data consumers can cause major issues. So Mahmoud and I then discussed how different just creating data products 
is to data as a product thinking. They're very different. Data products are a manifestation of how you're actually going to communicate across the domains. Data as a product thinking is much deeper than just creating the data products. If you are really thinking of your data as a product, you have versioning and you know the data product interface are crucial. And with versioning, it's important to know who will be impacted by a change when assessing if and how a change should happen. You know, a lot of stuff around testing and stuff too there. One thing Mahmoud would do differently if he were able to kind of go back four years and, and change is focusing more on encouraging and enabling data consumption earlier in the journey. While consumption is picking up, it is still below desired levels and is behind how mature they are with getting data on the platform to actually share. Part of the reason for lower than desired consumption comes from leaving the focus on that data integration, that dial layer, until later in their journey. They're trying to find, or if not find, then develop better standards to make data integration easier as well. While there are some standards for metadata, like open metadata, it's still very early days there. So lastly, Mahmoud mentioned how their metadata was just getting to be in too many places and too hard to manage. So they are building out a metadata lake, a tool agnostic lake for their metadata. It remains to be seen to me if this is a common pattern in data mesh, but it may address one of my big concerns, the trapped metadata problem. I think this metadata lake is something to really consider, but I'm also starting to see you know, people talking about, oh, you need this layer and this layer and this layer and this layer. And none of them are the kind of data mesh layers of the kind of or the data mesh planes of like the experience plane and things like that. If we end up with 15 different things, then people again start to get very confused as to where they look and it becomes very, very difficult to manage. So you want to if, if metadata is becoming a big challenge, then a metadata lake might be the right solution but we really do need to think about why are we doing things and will this eventually create more problems than it really addresses for us? Again, remains to be seen. I know there are a number of people that are going down this path. I think it could be very viable, but I also want us to really start to evaluate what is working in a lot of these implementations. 